folks, welcome to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host, as we broadcast from Iowa, the coronavirus capital of the U.S. Ouch. Hey, thanks to our local business partners here, and uh, particular for uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store, and they've got takeout. Uh, lunch and dinner takeout seven days a week. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. They've got a patio seating and indoor seating that's socially distanced as well. That's Hawk, H-O-Q, Restaurant. All right, so, you know, I've never been a fan of these, free, these uh, so-called free trade agreements. Uh, and yet here's, they seem to keep coming up. And here's, here's yet another example. Uh, this is the U.S.-Kenya Free Trade Agreement. Uh, this is an agreement that uh, President Trump and Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta, they're still working on that. They were talking about it back in July. They're still working on it. Now, just to give you a heads up, it's got the backing of Big Ag, who want to open the door to GMO seeds and crops. Uh, because Kenya, like a lot of other countries in Africa and in Europe, have been pretty adamant um, in their opposition to GMO foods. And, uh, I mean, Kenya's been really strong. <laughs> and so this might be one way to pry that door open. Another big concern about the uh, free trade agreement is that uh, it would allow for more U.S. plastic waste to be sent to Kenya. Now, there was a great investigative article written about this just this past week, uh, Unearthed is the name of the, uh, the entity that did the research that published the article. And to quote from the article, a lobby group representing oil and chemical companies, including Shell, Exxon, Total, DuPont, and Dow, has been pushing the Trump administration to use a U.S.-Kenya trade deal to expand the plastic and chemical industry across Africa. So now, it wasn't just big oil. You would think, okay, it's big oil lobbying to dump more plastic waste on Africa. Well, it also should be no surprise that um, Big Chemical has been, uh, has been lobbying. The, the American Chemistry Council, in fact, has been kind of one of the point entities for this effort. You know, and now surprisingly, perhaps, it's also the U.S. recycling industry that wants this deal. And they're represented by the Institute, I love this name, the Institute of Scrap Recycling Industries. They're not just a, they're not just a council or, or like a chamber sort of thing. They're an institute. So you got big oil, you got big chemical, you got big trash, let's call them, all trying to tell us that, um, you know, what they're, they're, they're out of the kindness of their corporate hearts, they're providing, you know, product, raw materials to these poor people in these struggling countries. And we know what Trump calls these struggling countries. We can't repeat that on an, on an FCC-regulated station. You know, they just want to create jobs. They want to create opportunities for growth and income for poor people. You know, and, and ironically, um, several of the companies that are involved with the American Chemistry Council, you know, including Shell, Exxon, Total, but interestingly, not BP, um, they recently, or a while back, funded a $1 billion effort to create, and I quote, a world free of plastic waste. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no hypocrisy there, right? You know, I, I, I don't know how you spell greenwashing, but I think it's um, S-H-E-L-L -L or any of those other options as well. You know, so, you know, again, not so ironically, uh, these same corporations opposed an existing treaty that came to pass in, in Basel, Switzerland two years ago. I think last year, actually. It's, it's an existing treaty that limits the amount of plastic waste that can be dumped on poor countries. So... Now, what big oil and big chemical and big trash, they, they, they want, and I'll quote this, they call for lifting the limits on the waste trade, a move which experts say amounts to an attempt to legally circumvent the new rules on plastic waste, rules which these corporations had also opposed. So, you know, these companies opposed the agreement in Basel, Switzerland. And now, of course, they want to kind of undermine it. Kenyan environmentalists are also, also opposed. Uh, they say, quote, we don't want to see Kenya become a dump site for plastic waste. And they got, a, they got some allies here in the U.S., including Senator Tom Udall, who said, it is outrageous that petrochemical and plastic industries claim the solution to our mounting plastic waste crisis is to produce more disposable plastic. Okay, so good start. Now, as reading, reading on through what Udall had to say about this, he really doesn't go far enough. You know, 
It's not just about managing plastic responsible, responsibly. We need to get rid of plastic in all but the most exceptional functions. You know, there's a photo in that unearthed story. You should check it out, folks, unearthed. And it shows a Kenyan man selling a plastic bag at a market. And, you know, presumably that bag was salvaged from a trash heap of U.S. imports. And next to him, there's several other Kenyan men. And they're, 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 um, they're selling bags that are made from local ingredients, non-plastic ingredients. You know, and I think of all the ways in which Americans are confronted by choices regarding plastic. And probably, of course, the most iconic is the question asked at the, in, at the grocery store checkout line, paper or plastic? Now, there's almost no reason why that should be a difficult choice, right? You, you should never say plastic. Um, if you've got to say paper, say paper. But there's a better choice, and it's to bring your own cloth bag. That's what Kathy and I do. And, you know, it was, a, it was, a, there was an expensive front to buy the bag. Um, not much, actually. They're fairly cheap. And they're durable, and you can haul a lot of stuff. Uh, three or four blocks, we, we usually walk or, or we're on our bikes. And they work really well. So once you get used to that, it's a good option. It's better than paper, certainly better than plastic. So, you know, there are loads of other opportunities to find ways of eliminating the plastic in your lives. Um, for example, Kathy and I get our milk from two local dairies. Now, one of them sells milk in plastic jugs and the other in glass jars. And, you know, we like them both, but we're going to go with the glass jars. Easy choice. So, you know, and for me, one, one of the most meaningful impressions about plastic uh, for me came from an older Ojibwe woman um, back in, what, 1982, I think it was. She helped me make a small bastic, ba basket from uh, birch bark and spruce roots. I was uh, living with the Ojibwe on the Red Cliff Reservation. And um, I wrote about this in my book, March or Walker Pilgrim, and I'll just quote that. Uh, 35 years later, I still have that basket. It has seen continuous use and sits on my desk, holding keys, wallet, glasses, and other personal items. The basket shows the wear and tear of time, but still serves its purpose. Most significantly, its presence is a daily reminder of the sustainability of indigenous culture. A basket made of plastic lacks both the durability and aesthetic appeal of one made from living beings. It also lacks any spiritual value and seems even to mock those values. I think of all the ways in which a plastic basket destroys life. Extracting oil, refining oil, the factory where it's made polluting the air and the water, the impoverished lives of the factory workers, the emissions from trucks and ships transporting the basket from a sweatshop in Southeast Asia to some Walmart in anywhere USA. No environmental degradation occurred in the production of my birch bark basket. The only lives lost were those of two noble trees, a birch and a spruce, whose raw materials supplied enough bark and root to make many similarly durable products, whose hollow trunks provided shelter to generations of mammals, and whose decaying bodies fed countless bugs and birds, and whose life force gradually enriched the same soil that had nurtured them while alive. Unlike most of what humanity tosses on the garbage heap of rampant consumption, if one day my basket ends up in a landfill, the remaining scraps of birch and spruce will prove an asset to the area's water and land, not a toxic menace to be covered with dirt and monitored for centuries to come. That's from my book, Marcher Walker Pilgrim. If you're interested, folks, you could find that on the Bold Iowa website. So, you know, Again, I mentioned the international agreement to try to limit dumping plastic on poor countries. And again, I said that was um, uh, enacted in Basel, Switzerland, called the Basel Convention. Uh, it was signed by 187 countries. So which rogue nations do you suppose were not part of that convention? You guessed it, folks, the U.S. So as of 2021, most countries will be prohibited from trading mixed, contaminated, or unrecyclable plastic with the U.S., Bad on us, right? Good on them for standing up to us. You know, so, okay, so get this. This is um, unpublished documents obtained by Unearthed, again, the, the entity that did the, uh, the investigative journalism I referenced earlier. Uh, they found that the uh, oil and chemical industry lobby, uh, the, the group that wrote to the uh, secretary, the secretariat of the Basel Convention, 
They were objecting to the new rules on the basis that they would create a regulatory burden and lead to shipping delays, logistical issues, and increased cost. Again, no concern for the poor people involved, no concern for the environment where they're dumping this, you know, no concern for the, the huge amount of uh, plastics that are floating in the Pacific Ocean, even as we speak. I mean, that's something we've talked about before on the show. You know, it's called the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, and actually it's two patches, one east, one west. It is, a, it is 617,000 square miles. It covers that big of an area, 617,000 square miles, this garbage patch floating in the Pacific. And it weighs more than 43,000 cars. So, you know, again, I know you feel good about recycling, but we need to get beyond recycling to reducing and eventually, to the greatest extent possible, eliminating our use of plastic in all but exceptional circumstances. Because when you throw that plastic in your recycling bin, it eventually is probably going to end up in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch or perhaps in a landfill in Kenya. We can do better than that, folks. And it starts again here by saying no to both paper and plastic, but especially to plastic. Hey, back in a minute here, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. At East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open Monday through Saturday for dine-in, patio seating, curbside pickup, and carry-out. Hawk also serves fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q table.com. Fallon with you folks. Hey, thanks to the local businesses in the Des Moines Metro that make this program possible, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store. And you can get lunch or dinner seven days a week at Gateway through their takeout program. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Noche Jazz and Cabaret. Noche is located on the, uh, just south of the Sculpture Park. They're doing some socially distanced live concerts on site and also available for live streaming. That's Noche Jazz and Cabaret. All right, so Joe Biden is the Democratic presidential candidate. Kamala Harris, of course, is his running mate. And, uh, you know, they're, they're talking about climate. They're, they're saying good things about climate, especially in comparison to Donald Trump. Uh, they're making a lot of sense on climate, but I think it's really good for us to go back and, and look at what transpired during the Iowa caucuses because uh, just checking the uh, the Bold Iowa website, you know, Bold Iowa did extensive, um, uh, you know, bird docking at presidential candidates and probably Joe Biden as much or more than anybody. And that whole effort started on May 1st when Joe Biden came to Iowa to announce his campaign. There was some, you know, some doubt, some... Uh, some mystery about whether he was going to throw his hat in the ring. And he had, uh, he had events in eastern Iowa, Cedar Rapids, uh, Dubuque, Iowa City. And he barely mentioned climate change at any of those events. And uh, Bold Iowa had, had people at the, uh, two of those events. And um, yeah, again, there was hardly any mention of climate. So when he came to Des Moines, there were, uh, I think, about a dozen people there to greet him. About half of them were dressed as penguins, and this had this the penguin costume sprung up shortly after it was reported that the largest emperor penguin colony in the Antarctic had just collapsed, and largely due to climate change. Uh, and so, I, I, Bold Iowa had already done an event with penguins at an Andrew Yang event. Um, um, and by the way, Andrew Yang loves the penguins. He's even on record saying that. He comes up to penguins and gives them hugs. Uh, 
think I think Penguins and Andrew Yang get along pretty well. But um, Joe Biden is in Des Moines, the fourth stop of his announcement tour, and he's speaking to uh, a group of maybe, I don't know, two or three hundred people, I want to say. And the Penguins are right there in front of him. And uh, I don't think he really knew what the Penguins were. He meant he made some comment about you're wearing a mask. <laughs> I guess he didn't recognize the Penguins, even though most people, when they see the Penguins, they know they're Penguins. But uh, so they were also holding up signs and other people in the audience were holding up signs saying climate is a crisis. Uh, and that got the point home to, to Joe Biden. And he did. He finally talked about climate change. Uh, he, I mean, he hadn't talked about it earlier. He talked about it. And um, he said some good things. And then he said some confusing things. He said, um, you know, pipelines or old pipelines are leaking. They need to be replaced. And we, we, we weren't, we dug into that more. And we realized he was referring to some pipelines that were made of, wo made of wood that were leaking. Some of them were carrying water. Others were carrying oil. It, it's still not entirely clear what he's referring to. But um, the bottom line is he indicated that those pipelines need to be replaced. Now, the problem from a climate point of view is if you merely replace a pipeline with uh, another, a new pipeline, you lock in that system of transportation for oil or gas, whatever it is, for a long time to come. And so that kind of became the, 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 the bone of conversation between uh, bold Iowa folks and Joe Biden. And I, I ran into Biden at the Iowa State Fair back uh, in August of 2019, back when we had a state fair. And um, I managed to, he was just walking around, you know, we had a big entourage and lots of press there. And I managed to talk to him a little bit before his uh, stump speech on the soapbox and just mentioned, hey, you know, you know, we've heard you mention climate change. We just need to hear you talk about it more. And I don't know, maybe that had something to do with the fact that he talked about it a lot uh, a few minutes later on the stump, you know. And then, uh, and then my partner, Kathy Burns, had a chance to question him about climate change at the, uh, at the Asian Latino Coalition. Uh, that was also in August. And, um, and uh, again, a long rambling answer to a question about climate and pipelines. Um, it, it just, uh, you know, I... I it's, uh, I will say this, even though Biden was never entirely clear about some things, um, that never really changed, and that's kind of unfortunate. We kept trying to uh, find ways of nailing him down. Um, in August 20th, uh, three, of our, three, three of the bold Iowa people uh, uh, met him in, a, you know, in, in the town of, I think, Indianola. I believe they were Indianola. It was in, it was in a little town called Prol, sorry. And... Um, uh, the quote from one of those uh, in attendance was, Biden didn't take any questions from the audience, but a lot of us spoke with him later. I asked him if he'd speak out against pipelines, and he, has, he said he has been against them from the beginning and that they are awful. And later that same day, uh, another group of about five or six people met him at Living History Farms, and he said the same, that he's always been against pipelines. But... Again, the problem is, it sounds like he's against building new ones, but the problem is, what about ones that need to be expanded or, quote, need to be expanded, you know, or, 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 or um, uh, widened, or who knows? There, there are all sorts of ways of, quote, improving, I put that in quotes, a pipeline. And so that's the concern, is um, he may be against the new ones, but once they're in, what's he going to do? Because right now, a lot of the pipeline conversations are about expansions. And we'll be talking with somebody later in this program who has been fighting a pipeline expansion in British Columbia. But so, um, kind of this one, oh, I, I, there were um, some, some bold Iowa bird dogs uh, talked to him down in West Point, Iowa, uh, where he was, I think, two and a half hours late. Um, <laughs> and then probably the most interesting encounter was at Grinnell University, uh, sorry, Grinnell College. Uh, you know, Grinnell, Grinnell College is famous for Grinnell students who are famous for uh, being really, really feisty and not backing down. And there's a really interesting video on the Bold Iowa website where uh, actually I, myself and Kathy are there, and we start off the conversation after he... Biden said he'd stick around. He had nowhere to go afterwards. He said he'd stick around. He'd talk with us about, about climate. 
or about anything. And the first person to come up to him was talking to him about healthcare. And then we had a chance. We launched it into climate and the pipelines. And again, he um, he had that same ambiguous stand. I've always been against pipelines, but what are we gonna, what are we going to do about these old ones that need to be replaced? And that's that's the that's a problem. So um, after kind of uh, Kathy and I talked to him about that, Grinnell students launched into him. <laughs> they just, uh, they were relentless. Um, you know, you can't say that we are, we're going to, um, uh, you know, eliminate fossil fuel usage by 2050. That's too late. They kept saying that's too late. And um, <laughs> it was an amazing, amazing exchange. Uh, there were several other encounters, and then probably the one that was most famous was uh, when I got I talked to Joe Biden again. I tried this is the very tail end of the campaign. It was it was January 26th, just a few days before the uh, the uh, primary, the caucus, and I said, "Look, we really want to get clear on this. We really want to know what you mean by I'm against pipelines, but I, I want to replace existing ones when they aren't working right." And um, that became an interesting exchange and went viral because instead of answering the question, he told me to go vote for someone else, um, <laughs> which was, oh, which was very awkward. And, and again, he just, um, he had a chance to give us the clarity that, I mean, a lot of people have been asking about this all over the state since May, from May 1st of, of 2019 through January 26th of 2020. People were asking him about those, you know, that, 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 that confusing disconnect. I'm for, I'm against pipelines, but I want to replace those that are failing, you know. And, and so I think this is an, again, when it comes to climate change, there is no comparison between Joe Biden and his running mate, Kamala Harris, and the Trump-Pence ticket. You've got, in one hand, we have a current president who pretty much denies that climate change is, a, is even, even happening, let alone that it's a problem. And you've got a Democratic ticket that at least acknowledges that we've got a serious problem. Uh, again, I think part of our challenge is to hold uh, candidates accountable and to make sure that they're giving us the straight scoop, that make sure that when they tell us uh, they are against something, they really mean they are against something, and they're not just trying to nuance something uh, in a way that gives them wiggle room to do something that is a benefit to the corporate interests that unfortunately often pump a lot of money into political campaigns. So. We'll see, but I think the background on this is pretty important, and I'm glad people. Uh, uh, I mean, we had some. We had like 250 people in Iowa involved with the uh, bird docking effort. So again, all over the state, people, you know, raising concerns about climate, the Green New Deal, um, the need for a climate debate. That was a that was a, a big issue back in 2019, and and close to the close to the hearts of many Iowans, concerns about the Dakota Access Pipeline and the question of whether you are. A candidate is merely against new pipelines or against expanding existing pipelines. Anyway, good information there, and um, kudos to those who participated. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in today, folks. This is Ed Fallon, your host. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Um, short break here. When we come back, uh, Kimberly Carroll with the Iowa uh, Postal Workers Union is going to join us. We're going to talk about the Postal Service under attack and how what's happening might impact the November election Coming up in a couple months, this is Ed Fallon, your host on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas Findlay. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. Noche on Walnut Street, south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines.
Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Fallon Forum, broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Hey, a quick shout out to a couple of our local business partners. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, my grocery store, and they've got uh, a takeout service available for lunch and supper seven days a week. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, thanks also to Noche Jazz and Cabaret. Uh, they've got live concerts happening with appropriate social distancing going on and also, uh, also um, uh, live streaming of concerts. That's Noche Jazz and Cabaret. All right, later in the program, uh, a professor is going to join us who has been protesting the, 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 um, the Trans Mountain Pipeline. He's been, get this, living in a tree. We'll also be talking more about saving seed from uh, heirloom crops as part of the growing urban gardening, urban farming movement. But right now, I want to welcome to the program uh, Kimberly Carroll. She's the president of the Iowa Postal Workers Union, and uh, she uh, spoke out uh, pretty vocally recently about the um, concerns that, about things that were happening in the Postal Service and uh, things that could impact the November election. Kimberly, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me on your show. Sure. And just to, let's let's lay it out uh, just so people know what we're talking about. What changes were made earlier this summer at the U- U.S. Postal Service that people should be aware of? Well, um, the principal change was the appointment of the new Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy. Um, and after that, then we started to see policy changes in how we actually process and deliver the mail. Uh, to include changes in how carriers prepare mail for going to the street and making delivery, as well as um, having machines removed out of our processing plants, which impacts our ability to sort mail in a timely fashion for our customers. And if you so those can't, were the principal issues. Yeah, and if you can't sort the mail, then there's going to be delays. Correct. Right. It, it has resulted in delays. Um, our customers, especially in rural um, areas, are experiencing delays. Um, so it's um, an unfortunate consequence of those actions. Yeah, so how, how severe are those delays? Are we talking about a day, two days, longer? Um, in some cases, it's longer, uh, unfortunately. Uh, it's impacting both uh, parcel volumes and uh, the delivery of uh, medications and um, goods to our customers, but it's also impacting letters. And the different classes of mail are experiencing a different uh, time delay. Um, Right now, um, it's somewhere between three days for letters that are possibly delayed. Parcels can be longer. And so that's an unfortunate consequence of some of these changes. So how how will that affect the general election? I mean, more and more people are are expected to vote by mail. So how, how will that affect that truth, that reality? Well, that was one of the reasons that I began to speak out uh, was um, my fear that it was going to take longer for us to be able to process mail because we were losing our ability, you know, with the machines to do it in an efficient way like the customers had expected. So it was very important for me to get the attention of the public so that they knew that they needed to respond to and send their ballots in sooner. Um, it's not something you can wait until the very last minute. It's something that if you would like to cast your ballot by mail, we wanted to make sure you had plenty of time to do that. And we're asking anyone who's choosing that method of casting their ballots to do that early. It's, right. it's really important to okay. do that early. So uh, t- typically when you drop a letter off at the post office, if it's before, what, 5 o'clock normally? I can't remember now. The uh, there, that, that day's stamp is on that particular article of mail. So if you drop your ballot off, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure whether it has to be the day before, the day of, but if you drop your ballot off and it is postmarked with the appropriate date uh, of deadline, that's normally what's expected. But what you're, what you're saying, I believe, what I hear you saying is that that may not happen. It may be, it may not get that postal stamp till the day later, a day later, even, maybe even two days later. No, 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 that's not exactly what I'm saying. Okay, good. Uh, we C- correct still me. cancel the mail. <laughs> so it's an, important, it's an important distinction. The mail is still canceled on the day that it arrives, um, and there hasn't been any delay in the canceling of the mail. Ah. But that's the first part. And the canceling is basically where we strike through the, the stamp and, and put the date and time that the mail comes into the mail string. Okay? Okay. 
then it moves to further down the processing line to the DBCSs, which actually sort the mail um, going to the areas where it's going to be delivered. And when it gets to the areas where it's being delivered, those DBCSs sort that mail into the line of travel for the carrier. So, um, so that's where we're seeing the delay. The DBCS machines were what we were removed from the machine or from the uh, processing plants across the country. Those are the machines that sort the mail that put it into the line of travel for the carrier so that they just pick up a, a tray of mail and then they walk it off. Um, and that's where we're seeing the delay. Because we don't have as many machines in the network anymore, we're not able to put as much mail through and sometimes mail has to be set aside until the next day. And that's where you're starting to see a cumulative effect of the days piling up. So in my case, I am a small plant. We are initiating the outgoing mail, and sometimes we don't get all of that mail processed to meet the truck that's going to go out that day. That mail then has to sit till the next day because we don't have another outgoing truck. And then it gets to the next point where it's sorted. And if they're not able to process the mail because they lost machines, then there's another day until it gets to the delivery. So depending on how far the, the letter is actually going to be traveling, there is a cumulative effect right, I in see the that. delay. Okay. So and again, in this but case, it's not about the cancellation. It's about okay. actually processing gotcha. it for delivery. So and again, this is in, uh, relative to the uh, election. Um, so the uh, the the ballot that is mailed. Uh, say a day or two before the election, would normally get to would, is, is earmarked for the county uh, county auditor's office where it will be counted. I mean, in the case of Iowa, maybe it's done differently in other states. In Iowa, all the ballots go to one of our 99 county uh, county auditors, and um, right. and so if those if those are late getting to the county auditor, how will that affect the the potential uh, you know vote count? Well, um, it's hard to say because we have been working with county auditors. The, the, the carriers and myself have been working with uh, the county auditors to incorporate what we call the IMD barcode. It's the barcode that's sprayed at the bottom of the address. Right. It's, it's a digital representation of the address. Hmm. And in that barcode, there is a great deal of information that's embedded uh, for the use of the sender. Um, and in this case, the county auditor. So it would tell you what what day the mail was brought into the mail stream, what day it was processed on a certain piece of equipment. So there's a lot of information in that barcode. Um, uh, but it's still my understanding that there is some debate as to whether or not they're going to take the cancellation date or if they're going to be using that uh -huh. information on that IM. IMD barcode. Interesting. Um, and I think the cancellation is is winning out right now. Right. Well, there's been um, a I lot of tell you that. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I can tell you that uh, we have uh, uh, a policy of making sure that ballots that are coming in close to the I work the window, um, and so ballots that are coming in close to the election date we are round dating as well as providing that uh, cancellation on the uh, automated equipment in order to guarantee that the auditors know when that ballot was brought into the to the post office okay. in an effort to make sure that the ballot is caught now or is counted. Now there's been a lot of public pressure, uh, a lot of concern raised about about the uh, the situation, thanks in part to, you know, you're bringing it forward. Um, but would you say the public pressure has uh, caused the uh, Postal Service, caused DeJoy, Postmaster DeJoy, to um, back off any of the changes that, that he made? I mean, it looks like, there, looks like there's some backpedaling going on, that uh, there's a recognition that uh, the, pup, the public is unhappy with some of the uh, changes and the potential delays. Would you say there's been some positive impact in that way? Yes, um, in, in that they have stopped removing the equipment and they have stopped um, uh, destroying the equipment. I mean, we, we've gotten to the point where uh, there is the possibility that should there be enough pressure, they could reinstate some of that equipment. Um, so that's been positive. Hmm. Um, but by the same token, um, these, this uh, is just a postponing of the inevitable. If we don't get any of the COVID relief funding or any funding from Congress to take the financial pressure off of the Postal Service, this is only going to be a temporary stay mm, right. um, and only till the election. 
And the bad thing is we move right into Christmas. And so many people use us to provide Christmas uh, presents to their loved ones across the country and cards and that kind of stuff. So so this is only temporary. Now, the, the Postal Service has been under attack for years. Um, and I mean, th- those who contend that it's not financially uh, viable, uh, uh, some have pointed out that it lost nine billion in 2019. How do you respond to those critics? Well, it really stems back to the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act, the PAEA, uh, which was passed in 2006, um, and that is the pre-funding requirement for the Postal Service to pay its retirees health care. 75 years into the future in a period of just a decade. Right. So that's a $5.5 billion check that has to be written the first day of our fiscal year before we're able to sell even a single stamp. Um, and so all of our financial pressures and all of the changes that have been occurring of the shrinking of the Postal Service since that time is because they're trying to figure out how to be able to make that payment. Right. It's impossible. There's no other company in the country, or near, uh, none that I am aware of anyway, that has that kind of an onerous financial right. liability before they can even do business in a fiscal year. Yeah. That, and and that, that really is what is causing that loss. That is incredible. I, I'd love to have you on some other time, uh, Kimberly, to talk more about that and, and let people give people a better sense of what's behind that and what's going on and why that needs to change. Uh, we got We're running out of time here. So, uh, again, I really... I appreciate you taking the time to join us, and I'm glad that you've been vocal. I'm glad that people have been speaking out about concerns relevant to the, the equipment that's been destroyed <laughs> and the risk that, that, uh, that has just, like you said, not just on the election, but on postal service in general. Again, as you pointed out, leading up to Christmas, when a lot of people use the postal service and rely on it. You know, so, I, right. again, my hat's off to you for, for being so vocal and outspoken about, um, about the concerns. So thank you. Well, I hope your listeners understand that it, that the, the post office is still a safe and secure way to be able to cast ballots. We've been doing this since the Civil War. Right. Um, and so I, I, I really encourage people to vote by mail. I can tell you that I am voting by mail uh, because I do believe in the system. Great. So thank you for this opportunity to share that information. All right, folks, we've been talking with Kimberly Carroll, the president of the Iowa Postal Workers Union. We'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, Well, if you've got an elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Kim Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. Folks, broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Hey, thanks to our local business partners and to some of the nonprofits that help make this program possible, including Bold Iowa, fighting climate change and the Dakota Access Pipeline since 2015. That's boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, where you can learn how to turn your yard into dinner. That's Birds, Bees, Urban Farm. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures great and small for over 30 years at Story County Veterinary Clinic. And thanks to Architecture by Synthesis, where uh, Mark Clipsham has 30 years of experience specializing in cutting-edge, creative, environmentally friendly designs, including super-insulated structures made from grain bins. Learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. All right, so across the country and beyond, in Canada as well, there has been uh, extensive protests 
against proposed expansion of pipelines. And in some cases, people working to stop these expansions have been victorious. Uh, now, the, the fate of the expansion of the Trans Mountain Pipeline running from Alberta uh, through British Columbia to the Pacific Coast, that, that, that question is still up in the air. Also up in the air is a Vancouver physician and university professor named Tim Takaro. He has been sitting in an, a tree, 82 feet above the ground, blocking uh, progress on the, uh, Trans -Canada, the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Uh, now there, this is not the first time someone has taken to the trees in order to try to stop environmental destruction. Maybe some folks remember, uh, I think her name was Julia Butterfly, the uh, young gal who sat in a tree in the redwood forest to prevent deforestation there. Uh, this is not a new idea, but it's a very innovative one and, a, and one that requires a lot of challenge because for me, as somebody who likes to move around a lot, I'd have a hard time being in a tree that long. Uh, I'd have a hard time being in a tree for more than, say, 20 minutes or so. <laughs> so um, I'm impressed that, uh, that people have uh, engaged in this kind of uh, a tactic. And I say people because Takaro, who um, is 63 years old, by the way, he has uh, come down from the tree but been replaced by a, um, uh, a younger person. A YouTuber. I, I don't. I'm not quite a, quite sure what, a, what it means to be a YouTuber. I guess being a YouTuber is not all that different than being a talk show host. But a YouTuber named Curtis Bauty. Uh, he's been producing a lot of videos that focus on climate change and related topics, and um, he's got quite a following: 173,000 followers. And um, he is now, according to this story in Burnaby Now, he's placed himself in the line of potential legal trouble. Blocking construction of the pipeline, uh, that uh, the, the, the section of the pipeline that runs through the Brunette River cons Conservation Area. Now, it's, um, it's one of a handful of areas along the Trans Mountain Pipeline where the, um, the, the, the route is new. It diverges from the original pipeline's route. And I'm not quite sure of the, the, uh, all the rationale behind that. Uh, originally, we were hoping to have Tim on this program and... Uh, uh, there were connectivity issues that didn't come through, so I'm doing the best I can from what I know, from what I've heard from him and others about this. So I'm not quite sure why they are creating a different route for the pipeline when the primary goal of the of the corporation is to expand it. And I say corporation, you know, this was a Morgan uh, Morgan Kinder, I believe, pipeline in the, in the originally, and then it looks like the uh, Canadian government um, took it over. Uh, that's never a good thing, is it? Uh, so now you've got now you've got the, uh, the the government of Canada, the Trudeau government, uh, you know, taking over the Kinder Morgan uh, pipeline and uh, and trying to expand it uh, against the wishes of a lot of people, not just the environmental community, but a lot of native people who live in that area. And here's my question: Is you know we we know that if a pipeline runs, you know, there's a pipeline in Iowa running from down south up to Minneapolis, uh, somewhere, somewhere near Minneapolis. And uh, that pipeline formerly carried oil to a refinery to be used by people in the U.S. I know, obviously, if you're going to be exporting oil, you don't take it to Minneapolis. Okay, so now if you look at all the pipeline maps, where are they going? They're going to the coast. You know, because a lot of that stuff is being... Well, some of it's being refined at the coast and then used internally in the U.S., but a lot of it's not even being refined because the U.S. Congress a few years back under President Obama decided to lift the ban on exporting crude oil that had not been refined. So my presumption is if this oil is traveling to the British Columbia coast, which is the plan, um, then, yeah, it's going to be it's, it's, it's slated for export. And currently the uh, the the the. the uh, the current pipeline transports, again, oil coming from Alberta, transports 300,000 barrels per day. For comparison's sake, the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline, which is a newer pipeline, started running oil in 2017. Uh, that pipeline um, is a capacity of 570,000 barrels per day. And Dakota Access is trying to increase the, the flow there. 
to um, over 1.1 million barrels per day. So this proposal in in Canada would take it from 300,000 barrels per day up to 890,000. So almost, um, I mean, the Dakota Access Pipeline proposal doubles the flow. This would triple the flow of oil. And so maybe that plays into the fact that they need some new routes. And so along one of these new um, new routes, uh, you know, Takaro and um, and now uh, Curtis Bowdy have uh, taken a residence in a tree, 82 feet up in the air, to block that from happening. So, yeah, I I I don't know where this goes, but uh, I'm um, pretty impressed. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm in awe that anybody can. Can be up there for that long. Here's uh, here's one of um, a quote from Baute, and again, I I'm gonna have to go check out his um, his YouTube page. Uh, it seems like it would be of relevance to those of us concerned about other pipeline projects. He says, "quote I'm going up there to protest for my right to a habitable future on this planet. We are living in a climate emergency. The science is clear that if we continue to build more pipelines like this one." then the world will, be, world will be nothing short of apocalyptic by the time I reach old age. And he says, nonviolent civil disobedience works, and if fighting for a livable future on this planet means risking being arrested, then that seems like a simple decision to me. So, yeah, kudos to him. Kudos to those who are opposing this. Um, you know, one question always, I mean, there's lots of concerns about this. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an assault on, on native sovereignty, on indigenous land. It threatens to spill. Um, there's a history of spills on the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Uh, there have been approximately 82 spills, according to Canada's National Energy Board. Uh, and again, this pipeline has been around a long time, since 1961. So, you know... That, that's 82. <laughs> okay, that's more than one a year. And, uh, and that's a concern. There's a big concern about, again, the impact on agriculture, on, on timber, on, on forests, on, um, on native communities. But I think uh, what Curtis is saying here is the crux of the problem. You know, the science is clear. If we continue to build more pipelines, if we continue to expand existing pipelines like this, then the world will be nothing short of apocalyptic. You know, and some people like to write that off as, as, uh, as a reactionary, as an exaggeration. But if you look at the science on this, and if you look at where we're going just this year, the term apocalyptic is not out of line. You know, and, and my, one, my one concern about what Curtis is saying, he says, the world will, world will be nothing short of apocalyptic by the time I reach old age. I think he's got the timeline wrong. I think things are moving really fast right now. And we need to be fully aware of how serious the situation is. And we need to be taking actions uh, immediately. Um, Actions both to oppose continued expansion of fossil fuel infrastructure, but also actions that are going to hopefully allow some some of us, uh, ideally all of us, to be able to resist to be able to stand up, uh, to, to survive in some of the changing, uh, changing um, scenarios that are coming forward. So, again, uh, you can learn more about what's going on. Uh, Tim Takaro, and again, I hope I'm saying his name right. I did not have a chance to talk with him. The phone connection did not work. Um, and then YouTuber Curtis Baute, that's B-A-U-T-E, B-A-U-T-E, Curtis Baute, uh, doing good work in British Columbia in opposition to the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Uh, Back in a minute here on the Fallon Forum as we talk about a different angle of resilience, and that is saving heirloom vegetable seeds. Back in a moment on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, no-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. They've been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super-insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yep, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. 
This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Back to the Fallon Forum, Ed Fallon, your host here. Thanks to uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe for helping to co-sponsor this program. Gateway is my grocery store. And you can get uh, lunch and dinner seven days a week through their takeout program. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, thanks also to Ritual Cafe, uh, Fair Trade Coffee, Fair Trade Tea, all vegetarian menu, and they as well are doing takeout. That's Ritual Cafe. All right, welcome back to the program, folks. Ed Fallon again here with you, your host, as we broadcast from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America, and also last week, at least for one or two days, the coronavirus capital of America. But uh, hopefully that will pass. Hopefully the whole corona thing will pass. Not holding my breath, not keeping my fingers crossed, but keeping hope alive. Anyway, welcome to the, uh, welcome to the final segment of our program where we talk with Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And today we're going to dig into saving seed, saving seed from heirloom vegetables and other plants that you want to keep around. Now's the perfect time to be saving seed so you can start seedlings early in the spring or plant them directly into the soil next year. Ed, you mentioned that um, Des Moines and Polk County and Iowa are unfortunately really now booming again with cases, <laughs> positive cases of COVID. Leading and, the way. And it was when the coronavirus pandemic became such a, a harsh reality last spring that a lot of people found suddenly that ordering seeds online and going to get them at their favorite stores became a little challenging. And mm -hmm. that's because people started to think about where's my food coming from? A little challenging to the point that plenty of places were sold out. They were, they were. And then um, people ordered late and uh, they got a little late start with some of the gardens. So uh, we we plan to order very soon for next spring already. We've been saving some seed for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. um, garlic, one of the easiest. <laughs> garlic, so easy. You just uh, take your 20 biggest, best, most beautiful heads and you hang on to them till late October. Mm -hmm. uh, break open those cloves and you got, what, four to six, maybe seven cloves per head. Plant those. And we've been planting the same garlic now for, what, five years. Yeah, if you're going to plant garlic, think about it now because you'll do that in late October or November. So uh, if you don't have any to start with, what would you just go to the store and buy? A garlic that you like or would you well, get it from I, a trusted I, I friend? I wouldn't trust that. You know, I, I would go to a like Seed Savers Exchange mm -hmm. in Decorah or some other place that is um, is making sure they're saving seed properly. And again, garlic is easy. Anybody can... Our cat Mika could probably save garlic seed if she wanted to. If she liked garlic, she doesn't. But if she did, she could. It's, it's really very easy. But the temptation, of course, is to, you see that biggest bulb and you want to eat that big bulb. Don't. Save that big bulb. Likewise, we've been saving our best of the best. Uh, some of the seeds that we save from um, plants that just grow on the vine and then you just leave them on the on the stalk or the vine and then they become kind of a seed pod for you or we've been saving them from fruit that we pick from that um plant yeah. and then then we well, create that i mean tomato i i love saving some people are really disgusted by saving tomatoes but it's really it's beautiful it's, really, it's, it's beautiful it's easy like we call it science lab around here because you you cut the tomato across the equator and then when it opens up, you'll see little pods. Can I call them pods? Like podules, little pods of uh, of seeds that are surrounded by a gelatinous substance. You gotta scrape all those out with your finger. Some people don't like doing that. They don't like the feeling oh, of slime. Oh, it's wonderful. I enjoy it. Wonderful. And it's then, not slimy at all. A little bit. It's more like a cool gel. Okay, like yeah, it's, it's like aloe vera. Yeah. Right there you go. Okay, so you put that in a bowl with a little bit of water, not a lot, just enough water to kind of cover it up. And that starts fermenting. And three or four days later, the most, that fermentation has destroyed the gel around the seed. And so when you rinse those out on a fine sieve, all that crud will go through the sieve and you'll be left with some seeds. That so you kind of pat dry yeah. and then leave them. We leave them in little um, dishes. And we just leave them there for a couple weeks. They dry out. We store them in glass jars. 
and then we'll plant them next spring. And, and tomatoes are easy because you only need 10 feet of isolation from, the, from another plant to avoid cross-pollination. Right. You can't, uh, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to save my seeds this year and trust that you're going to get a really good seed. It's important that the seeds that you're saving are hybrid plants to start with because you... Uh, heirloom. Oh, I'm sorry. Heirloom. heirloom are not hybrid. Not hybrid. Are Bad. heirloom plants <laughs> because then you know that you're going to get that good variety back again yeah. that will reproduce. I know plenty of folks who like... There, there are certain hybrid tomatoes that are really great producers. I get that. And people love those. But I would say... You know, think ahead. You know, think of the you, the value of you having your own seeds, not having to. I mean, you, you save the expense of buying them next year, and then you've got seeds that you can rely on as going to be because hybrid seeds they won't reproduce a, a, mm -hmm. a, a true crop. You know, mm -hmm. so if you have your own, if you have heirloom varieties you like, save those, but make sure they're planted at least ten feet apart from other heirlooms. We made the mistake of having some too close, and so now we have one plant. Got a couple. Actually, we have things. we have two. We have two varieties we don't recognize anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they're good, but well, we yeah, need they're to, okay. But, we, yeah. we need to start fresh we, with some fresh seeds. We don't know what they are, but we'll uh, be contacting Seed Saver again. Well, I think with tomatoes, we have most of the seeds we have are true, but we'll probably be buying some new purple Cherokee. Mm -hmm. At any rate, maybe something else. But mm -hmm. and peppers, you know, the challenge with peppers, they need sixteen hundred feet of isolation. That's almost, that's like a, more than a quarter mile. When you say isolation, for folks that don't know, that means the distance that you have them apart when they grow From so other, that they don't cross-pollinate. Yeah, so if you've, if, you've got your, if you've got garden sunshine, you can't have them within 1,600 feet of Quadrato Astigiaio or, or Cilios. You've got to have all those different varieties separated. That's a challenge. Now, there are other ways of dealing with isolation, you know. Uh, netting. You know, netting bags, uh, you know, but I... Here's another way that I like, and we're going to experiment with this. We're, we're uh, you know, we'll, we will just grow one type of pepper next year. What? At, at least here. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> here on our, in our yard. Right. We have a small space. We have about an eighth of an acre, right. so we have a small space. So we do have a few neighbors who have <laughs> let us, uh, graciously let us farm some of the plots in their, in their yards, we have a little garden bed or two in their yard, and they have less to mow. So we're well, going to we're going to isolate our crops. We're going to socially distance but, our crops. But only one type of pepper should be any in any one particular location. This, unless you've got a really big space. If you've got a quarter mile from one uh -huh. end of your property to the other, then you can then you can grow uh -huh. multiple varieties of peppers. But peppers are so easy to save. You just got to make sure you leave it on the on the plant long enough where it gets ripe. Because, you know, often you harvest mm -hmm. those green peppers. They're really good, but the seeds aren't quite ready. Yep. You know, let them ripen. Harvest the peppers. I mean, they're so easy to pull out. And then you still have the entire pepper left to eat. You can still eat the tomato after you've pulled sure. the gel with the seeds out of it, too. And that's kind of nice. There are a lot of um, plants that you can't eat. For instance, we had a carrot go to seed <laughs> in the carrot patch. And we're not going to eat that carrot now. We let it go to seed, and that means it got a little. It, the carrot plant got flowers. Looked like on Queen Anne's lace, which so, is really yeah. yeah. So that's another way to save seed. Some but, plants go to seed, and that but, means they get little flowers on top, and then you harvest the seed from that. I've never had a never had a carrot go to seed because they're biennials. So we'll know? see what happens. It's kind so of experimental. It, it, it went to seed in year one. We'll see how well it does. Uh, Last we, year we had a leak go to seed for the was it last year or two years ago? Last year we had two um, of our leaks went to seed and that seed seems to have worked out pretty well. Yeah, we've planted that; it's doing well, and we have one of those that has gone to seed. Mm -hmm. So we'll see if we can keep that going. Oh, one one really easy plant to save: potatoes. Again, a potato is a seed. We resist the urge to plant the to eat the biggest ones. They're so good. I know we we save like They're the so um, twenty biggest. Uh, of our Yukon Golds, 20 biggest of our Colorado Reds, and then cut those into quarters next year. The, the, cha the challenge is you got to store them somewhere where they'll stay nice and, you know, reasonably firm all winter long. And then when it comes time to plant them on Good Friday, you know, cut them into quarters. <laughs> We've already had that well, discussion. Cut them into quarters. Uh, or if they're small enough, maybe just halves. But mm -hmm. um, Make but, sure but, there's an, a good eye in each one. Right. We know all about good eyes. Not like you. Not like, my, not like mine. <laughs> <laughs> but there's lots. I mean, there's some plants that are tough to save. Onions, tough. Yes. But uh, corn. But again, if it's not, if it's not a, if it's not a GMO or hybrid corn, if it's an heirloom traditional variety, you can save that seed. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, okra, very easy. And oh, they, it's pretty too. And the double is rattles. It's it, it, it's a long <laughs> pod. It's what okay, it can be six inches, five yeah. six inches. And they're tapered at one end. They have some nice ribbing, and they dry to a, a nice brown. They're 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 nice and dry, and they do rattle mm-hmm. when they're uh, when they're dry. The first year I ever planted okra, I didn't like. I didn't know how to cook it right. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it, so I let it all go to seed, and then I painted them and used them as Christmas decorations. They right. were very sweet. So they do make good rattles, too, speaking as a musician. Yes. Yeah. All right. We're also, for the first time, saving Swiss chard. That's a really cool seed. Uh, it goes every which way, like Medusa's, you know, snakes coming out of her head. Yeah. It's like snakes. <laughs> we're also saving spinach for the first time. I have saved lettuce. We have lettuce this year. We mm-hmm. actually, I think this is the second or third year of this particular lettuce seed and it works well it, it, it germinates well it um, tastes it's a good pretty yellow flower when it comes on yeah too. yeah so but letting you know lettuce will also cross pollinate so you got to decide which variety you want and you know the best resource for determining isolation distances and learning more about how plants pollinate how many you need because you really you should save for more than just one plant some plants, they recommend you save as many, that you have as many as 80 you're harvesting from. That's not practical for a home gardener or a small urban farm. But some plants, it's not quite as um, quite as much. So, you know, think about that. Um, but uh, but lettuce, uh, you know, that seems to be working. Um, beans. We've had really, oh, really yeah. good luck with our Your provider beans. beans. Yes, and they, when they when they're drying in their pods, you just leave them on the vine and they dry in, it, dry in their pods. And we're saving one whole patch, our third planting this year. We're saving it, and we're going to see how they taste just to eat like a dried Because bean. we already have way more. Uh, we have plenty of bean seeds saved. We The original provider bean seeds come from uh, Seed Savers again. And then we... Um, I think this is our... I think this is our second... This will be our second year of using that seed stock. And and they, um, they're they pretty easy to save and, and really beautiful too, by the way. Well, you can learn a lot more about saving seeds by checking into our Birds and Bees Urban Farm workshops. We'll have the website updated soon for next year's offerings. Yeah. Kathy, thanks for joining us. Folks, we've been talking with Kathy Birds of Birds and Bees Urban Farm about seed saving. Do that. You'll, you'll, you'll learn a lot and you'll be happy. And the kids enjoy it. Kids love mm-hmm. getting themselves gooey on tomatoes. Anyway, thanks for tuning in to this week's Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host. Thanks to our production team of Kathy Burns and Sherry Herdina. Thanks to the stations around the country that rebroadcast this program. Back at you next week.